Hello and welcome to Driving Discussions. This is the series where we discuss the global road fuels markets and in this episode we'll be discussing the RINs markets and why we've seen a drastic rise in RIN and RVO costs over the last couple of months. Driving Discussions is brought to you by Argus Media, your leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. My name is John Demopoulos and I'm the Vice President of North American Oil Products here at Argus. With me today are Paul Nisnik, a senior consultant for Argus Consulting Services, specializing in the US biofuels markets, and Thomas Dwyer, a reporter covering the US, US biofuels markets as well. Paul, Thomas, glad you could join us. Hey there, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, John. Now, I want to start off by talking about this recent price rise um, for RINs. It, it, it seems as though we see a new high pretty much every day at the moment, both for RINs uh, and the, the renewable volume obligation um, that, that we price. Can, can you guys, perhaps starting with Paul, can you explain why we've seen such a, a steep rise in prices lately? Well, there's two main components to this price rise. One is uh, simple to understand. The D4 RINs price is the tail that wags the dog in the whole market. And the D4 RINs price is basically set by the difference between the price of biodiesel and the price of diesel. The price of biodiesel is all driven by vegetable oil prices, which have just shot up enormously. Not that diesel prices haven't had a good run lately, but you've just been severely outpaced by the vegetable oil market. So that spread between those two products has gotten larger, and the D4 rinse price, which encourages blending of, of biodiesel and renewable diesel, has gone up with it. Now, that's only for the D4 rinse price. The major component of the RVO and the whole basket of RINs that people need to buy is the D6 RIN, normally uh, secured from corn ethanol blending. The problem there, uh, what the market seems to be signaling is they're concerned that we're not going to blend very much of that this year uh, because of the effects of the pandemic and just because of the general downturn expected uh, long-term for uh, gasoline consumption in the U.S., uh, if if you have less gasoline used, you have less ethanol blended at 10%. And these RINs generally come in very, very cheap. But when you're short on them, you need to replace them. And the RIN system allows you to do that with uh, upper category RINs. And the primary one available is the D4 RIN. So when you have a market that seems to be going short against the assumed requirements, um, for that category, uh, you start to see the market seeking these supplemental RINs or pricing the other RINs at the price it would cost to replace them. You know, this D6 RIN, if I don't buy this D6 RIN, I buy a D4 RIN. The seller knows that, and the seller is able to achieve a higher premium much closer to the D4 RINs price. So that little tail of a D4 RINs, which really doesn't represent much more than 15, 20% of the market, um, is able to take all of the rest of the D6 RINs, which command most of the, the buying RINs that people need, and bring them up to the D4 RINs price, which already was rising. So you have a perfect storm. And uh, this is that last segment, though, really depends on people's outlook for what the requirement will be this year, which hasn't been published. Uh, like it should have been by November of last year, and their outlook going forward. Uh, 
uh, I think Tom can speak to the market's uh, feeling about um, where, when and where and what kind of uh, requirement might come out uh, or how much RINs are being traded right now when the market is in a wait and see moment. Tom? Right, certainly. So, um, I mean, if, if you pull up a, a long graph of the RVO and you go back to the beginning of 2020, there's a court ruling from the U.S. 10th Circuit Court near the end of January that basically vacated a lot of small refinery exemptions from previous years and uh, also kind of threw into question the validity of future small refinery exemptions for parties that were not part of that original group back in, uh, what was it, 2008 or 2009. So if you go back and look at that, you can see that rent prices have steadily climbed over time, but uh, the market really got bullish um, around January of this year. Um, and like Paul said, it has to do with all of that uncertainty around the overdue EPA proposal for how much needs to be blended and uh, whether or not they're going to factor in coronavirus and how it affected fuel demand and therefore biofuel blending with that. And what we're seeing is record high prices because a lot of these obligated parties uh, seem to be going long because they are they're not sure what the Biden administration or uh, the EPA will take, what kind of action they will take on the RFS. And so they seem to be erring on the side of caution and loading up on whatever credits they can get their hands on. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of demand in rent credit prices and the RVO hitting multi-year highs and record highs because of that. So we, we've got a few different things at play here, haven't we? We've got insufficient supply of ethanol RINs, D6 RINs, because there's not enough gasoline being used. We've got high D4 prices because of the high costs of the underlying feedstocks. And on top of all of that, we've got some uncertainty. We, well, we've got an, an increase in demand from the refiners for these RINs because we're seeing some of the parties that had previously been exempt from having to turn them in now finding themselves obliged to turn them in. So a bit of a, a perfect storm from both sides. Um, are, are, you seeing, are you seeing this play out in the marketplace in terms of new players coming in, um, higher levels of liquidity, any sort of emerging patterns there? Yeah, I would say uh, certainly that liquidity is up. I mean, I'm putting in, you know, on a, on a, on a standard day in pre-coronavirus times, you know, I would see maybe one or two dozen deals, but uh, especially this last week, I've been seeing north of 50 deals in one day on rent credits, which which is quite a few. I think the question everybody is going to be asking, certainly any any obligated parties who need to turn these things into the EPA at the end of the compliance period, is uh, is this rally going to continue? The price is going to be going up, and I know neither of you have a crystal ball on this, but... <laughs> What, what are your thoughts? Well, there's no crystal ball, of course, uh, but there are things to watch. So the things to look for are, first of all, we mentioned the vegetable oil price and the differential to the crude price. If the vegetable oil price keeps going up and the crude price doesn't keep pace with it um, uh, in some sort of giant commodities rally, you know, it could, that, that D4 price keeps going up, it's going to drag the D6 price up with it. However, you know, these anybody who's been in commodities a while knows that things don't last forever. Um, so I'd be keep, keeping a 
keen eye on oil price versus uh, vegetable oil price and uh, and and outlooks for those. The other thing to outlook for is um, signaling from the EPA about whether when they're going to release the rule and in what shape. They may talk about this. They may send out guidance information early and say, we're going to do a combined year rule so that your obligation for 20 and I'm sorry, for 21 and 22 are combined and due in March of 2023. So, you know, you've got some more time that would give a little bit of relaxation to the market who might bet on better times ahead in 2022 with consumption. Uh, the other thing to look out for is more about the SREs. It's not quite dead yet. There's a, a Supreme Court review of the rule that Tom discussed. And if, you know, it's pretty much considered a Hail Mary at this point, but were the SREs to come back in some form, that dumps, it effectively dumps RINs into the marketplace. Those mark, those companies that don't, uh, that do get uh, their obligation waived, for instance, for 2020, uh, will suddenly come to market with 2020 RINs that they say, oh, I don't need these anymore. I'm going to sell them. Uh, I bought them. I don't need them. I'm going to sell them. And suddenly there's an, a, 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 an amount of supply. That's another thing that can come to uh, to, uh, to to change the market shape going forward. Um, but when I'm advising clients, we would say those are all things that affect the price this year, right? I think long term is also something the market's looking at. They're saying uh, because they have a big bank of RINs, they have a record high bank, of, especially of D6 RINs right now. Uh, nearly as high as you can have them uh, under the rules. So you would think that they'd be feeling fairly flush, but I think they're looking at forecasts, long-range forecasts of gasoline consumption and saying, hey, this COVID situation is really just a a preview of, of gasoline consumption years to come, and we're going to be chronically short where we'd like to be for D6 RINs. So again, like Tom said, we should stock up as best as possible uh, for a rainy day. This might be, they might be thinking, hey, these are cheap years uh, in the future compared to the future, and we might be hedging a, a problem. You and I were hearing earlier today um, about the possibility of, well, the, the likely encroachment of more LCFS programs around the United States, possibly even um, nationwide, although that's just sort of DC thinking at the moment. To, to what extent does that sort of affect? a an obligated party's ability to think long term on RINs. I mean, presumably if if we had a nationwide low carbon fuel standard, RINs would all but go away, right? Oh, that's a pretty loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, RINs going away and the RFS going away, and, and then you mentioned there's sort of talk in Washington, like, oh, let's do a nationwide LCFS like they're doing in Canada. That's just politically imp almost impossible in this current environment. Um, we've got a split Senate, uh, and some of the people who support um, the RFS are, are purple states or red states in the Midwest. So if you combine maybe some uh, green Democrats and some purple or, or even blood red uh, Republicans, but who are ag states saying, we're going to keep this thing as it is, it's going to stay that way, um, uh, no matter what the composition of the White House is. And 
that's a lesson that was learned across multiple administrations, both Republican and Democratic over time. You just can't move the RFS very easily. And in fact, I would say that the market is signaling that they agree because you're having, we've mentioned this before, the merchant refiners who typically complain about um, the RFS are investing in programs that, I mean, are investing in projects that are um, uh, uh, driven by the RFS like renewable diesel plants. Uh, I would specifically point out CVR's announcement. Uh, they are a vocal uh, opponent of the RFS um, and, and now are going to build a renewable diesel plant according to their press releases. Tom, for, for the sake of um, perhaps some of the, the listenership that have less exposure to some of these questions, you know, we we at Argus, of course, publish um, what we call the RVO, the Renewable Volume Obligation, which is the measure of the cost that refiners um, have for every gallon of um, of road fuel that they produce. Could you perhaps explain just how we come up with that number um, and, and what it means? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the EPA every year, they release their how many gallons of what biofuel they want blended into our conventional fuel motor pool. Um, and they also release percentage standards for those gallons. So the RVO is basically just a calculation from each each credit type's value um, times that percentage from the EPA. And then from there, every day you can calculate how much it costs you if you're a fuel refiner or a fuel importer. For each gallon of fuel you make, you can calculate your cost for how much it runs you to be compliant with the RFS on any given day. And that's the the real measure of the cost to the refiner of this program, right? Right. Now, are we, you know, in, in previous times where we've seen the price of RINs rally, Paul, you alluded to this a little bit, um, you know, we've um, we've seen merchant refiners step in and say, hang on guys, this is a bit unfair because anybody who has a downstream blending program is advantaged in this environment. Are we are we going to see those sorts of challenges, um, those sorts of um, uh, maybe even lawsuits um, coming back in again, or is the industry kind of resigned? Uh, this is the system uh, right now. To your question, Tom, yeah, there's always a chance for lawyers to make money around the RFS. Um, it's probably its most steady income for anybody in this business has been the lawyers who fight the RFS or try to defend it. But I think you're you're alluding to the fact that there's a certain resignation um, and shift uh, within many refiners to a little more participation um, uh, within it and, and maybe depending on it, though there are those refiners who will still sort of have a, a bipolar view of participating heavily and yet also fighting the RFS. The, um, that has caused a schism among the, um, the fuels uh, trade groups. Uh, companies have come and gone from the trade routes depending on their positions on biofuels programs. And so that we've definitely seen some shift in, in their attitudes. I think it'll be very hard for companies that, for instance, start a renewable diesel plant to fight the RFS when the renewable diesel can't enter the marketplace without the RFS. The RFS really does, with that D4 RIN, a great job of bridging the expensive 
uh, gap there between the, the expense of renewable diesel and, and diesel. So they'd be shooting themselves at a foot in their foot after a bit. Uh, that those plants would be worth very little, uh, especially those ones that can't be exposed to European uh, exports. Paul, Thomas, thank you so much. Um, this was a really interesting discussion and one that I hope we'll be able to continue um, in future weeks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do be sure to tune in for the other episodes in our series, Driving Discussions. And for more information about the US refined products markets, including daily prices and RINs coverage, and of course the RVO, you can check out Argus US products and Argus America's biofuels. And finally, to learn more about Argus Consulting Services, do visit www.argusmedia.com forward slash consulting.